Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. We're sharing our own insights as authors who have been publishing since the beginning of the e-reader revolution, and we're also interviewing industry experts and other successful authors to help you figure out what's working right now. I'm Lindsay Baroker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Andrea Pearson. And in this episode, we are actually, Joe and I are interviewing Andrea, and we recorded this a few months ago. We weren't quite sure that Andrea was actually going to come on and become a host, so there's nothing about that in the actual interview. <laughs> so if it sounds like it's a little out of date, um, that's why, but I think all the information you give on talking about book launches and stuff will be still useful to everybody listening. Yeah, it's still accurate. Um, I, I mean, we recorded on June 25th, and today is September 18th, so there are, I mean, I mentioned in the interview that I'd switched from MailChimp to uh, a new newsletter provider and that's called Sendy. And I wanted to give an update on that. I'm still using them and I'm still loving it. They're powerful and reliable and it still only costs me like $3 a month, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, and MailChimp just increased their prices. So for me, I have only about 300 subscribers over there and it's costing me like 60 bucks a month. And so absolutely ridiculous. So I'm going to be moving everything to Sendy now. Sounds like a good plan. I was going to say, that's more than I uh, pay at Aweber for 20000 between my two lists. So, ouch. Yeah. All right. Uh, and I guess we'll just go ahead and jump into that interview right now and hope you guys get something out of it. Yeah. Enjoy. Hey, everyone. We're going to be talking to fantasy author and mailing list aficionado, Andrea Pearson, today about how to rock your mailing list, get more subscribers, and sell more books. And we'll probably cover some other marketing stuff, too, because we've met Andrea in person, and we know she loves to talk all about marketing. Uh, she and Joe and I were at uh, Chris Catherine Rush and Dean Wesley Smith's Business for Authors workshop a couple of years ago. And uh, Andrea was always pulling people aside to have marketing meetings where Joe and I were like in the corner, you know, like, oh, should we be like speaking with people at this? Is this like a networking thing? How, how does that work? So welcome to the show, Andrea. Thank you. Now, uh, for folks who haven't listened to the previous interview we had with you, how about you tell us a little bit about how you got started in writing? Uh, okay, so um, so the, the listeners for this show are going to be authors of all genres, right? Stuff yep. like that. Okay. It's a new show. I haven't listened to any of your podcast episodes yet. <laughs> um, so I, let's see, I didn't grow up wanting to be an author or wanting to be a writer or anything like that. My sister was the writer in the family and um, she was kind of a competitive person. Like she chose writing. Nobody else could do writing, just her. And um, when I became an adult, you know, college and and living on my own and doing adulting things, um, I decided that I wanted to do, go ahead and try writing. And I wrote my first book and at that point I wanted to get it published, you know, because why not? You write a book, you got, you want to get it published. Right. But, um, at that point I didn't, hadn't researched a whole lot into publishers and, and so I didn't have any publishers in mind or any idea on how to get it published, but I did have it up on a, what a website called autonomy.com that was run by Harper Collins and an agent came across it. He offered me, um, he offered to represent me and he helped me get a contract with the publishers of twilight, which I ended up turning down. And because I was a paralegal and I was like, this contract's horrible. Why would anybody sign a contract like this? And I didn't know that that's just the way contracts were for, for authors. And so I turned it down and I ended up self-publishing and that was, that was early 2011 when my first book came out and it was right around the time I got married and my husband is pretty much a 100% business partner in it. And we've been 
yeah, indie publishing ever since. And it's great. I love it. I've got over 50 titles under three pen names and absolutely love being an indie author and publishing and marketing and all that. Now you kind of, uh, embrace the marketing side whereas i think a lot of authors get into it and then they don't sell any books and they're like well shoot i'm gonna have to figure out how to what, what am i doing wrong you know i thought these would just sell is that from your old background at all or is it just something you enjoy doing from the beginning um i don't i you know it took me a while to figure out where it came from i found out that my mom actually wanted to major in marketing and she was in charge of conventions all growing up her job was to get people at the conventions and she was super passionate and excited about it. And I, it just rubbed off on me. I, I just love marketing and reaching out to people and figuring out how to get things to sell and, and why they're not working and figuring out how to make them work better and things like that. It's just, it's, a, it's become a passion. I, I enjoy it. And uh, how many books do you have out today? I guess for about seven, eight years since you got started. Yeah, um, I've got around 30 novels, um, four or five um, nonfiction books. Uh, I've got a bunch of illustrated books for kids and then a whole ton of, new, um, let's see, middle grade books and some Western romance. Um, mostly everything I write is fantasy and um, yeah. And then a bunch of short stories and novellas and things like that. Now, uh, as I teased in the intro, we're going to talk about mailing lists in a little bit, but I am curious. I know you had a son uh, just a few months ago, I think. And could you talk a little bit about just, I'm sure you took some time off as uh, one does <laughs> to give birth. <laughs> uh, could you talk about how you're kind of keeping the business rolling while uh, you probably, I assume you've kind of cut back on your hours a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, every pregnancy is different for everybody, right? And I was hoping that this pregnancy would be an easy one, but it was not. And so I ended up getting really sick while I was pregnant. And uh, and so a lot of my writing had to get put to the back burner, but I ended up focusing on other things like the marketing and the business aspect. I tied off a whole ton of loose ends that I could find before my baby was born. And I stockpiled a ton of projects for my assistant to do uh, while I was recovering and adjusting to having a new baby. And then it took me about six weeks after the baby was born before I was able to start writing again. Uh, but luckily I had uh, re releases that were going wide to other, all the other retailers. And those are still on in pre-order periods, still getting um, released. Uh, but I also started hoarding money because when you're not releasing books, you tend to drop in royalties a bit. <laughs> and so, and basically gearing up to a big, big launch that I have coming up in October. Um, now that I've got the baby and he's a couple months old, um, I do, I arrange to have babysitters come twice a week for about two hours, just so I get in a solid chunk of writing every single week. And because I dictate, I can actually, I can do about 10,000 words in, in, in one hour. And so that's enough for a week, you know, um, let's see. And my rule is when that babysitter's here, I only edit and I only write during that time. And then that way during, during the rest of the day, when I have a few moments here and there, I can focus on other projects that like when my brain is too tired to write. And let's see, I have also, I also focus on re, you know, rebranding my nonfiction side of my business, just basically a whole bunch of different random projects that like you said, keep my business rolling. Um, we did take one week off or sorry, we did take several weeks off from the podcast. My husband and I run for authors, uh, but I only took one week off from emailing my, my newsletter list because last time I had a baby, I took two months off and it just, everything kind of, yeah, it, it fell apart for a couple of months and it took me a while to get my royalties back up again and get going again. And so I couldn't, I knew I couldn't afford to burn out that much again. And so, uh, my assistant's been instrumental in keeping my weekly email going 
Um, oh, and another thing, um, this summer, since I'm not launching anything until August, I've been focusing on doing basically direct sales to my readers through book funnel so that I have, you know, that, that stuff for them, you know, so they have something to read and download and things like that. And what I've done there is I just gather old series, put them in one box set, add new author notes, a uh, couple new stories, illustrations, and things like that. And then I sell it direct to them so that I get um, moolah because <laughs> money's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're working as hard as most people do who have not had a child recently. Because uh, I know just getting a puppy last summer threw off my game for a while. I was like, <laughs> yeah, for a couple months, she'll be crazy and I won't be able to work. And it's a year later and she's still crazy. So uh, <laughs> she's crazy. Babies to the next level. <laughs> yeah. Well, the good thing about babies is they do eventually grow out of needing to be fed constantly and potty trained. <laughs> so, so they're even, they eventually become self-sufficient. Like my six-year-old is a huge help. She, you know, she'll run and get diapers for me and things like that. And and actually, I mean, before I had kids, I published three books. And then after kids, that's when everything else came. And so I figured out how to be a better author by structuring my life around my kids' schedules. And so just making every minute count, you know. So I've actually been more productive since having kids than I was before because I'm not going to be done being a parent for a long time. So I had to make it work, you know. Right. And we've, I think everybody's had that experience where if you have the whole day to work on something, it, it takes the whole day to get as much done. If, you know, and, but if you had somewhere you had to go or you've only got two hours, you do seem to focus a little more, hopefully. Yeah, it's true. I've heard that people, when they quit their day job and they go writing full time, they like the first two months, three months are, you know, they're just, they're all over the place trying to get back into a good schedule. And I mean, you got to give yourself time to relax too. You know, you just quit a job. So sleep in for a few weeks. <laughs> you mentioned some of the things you were working on. I think I too would be able to do some of the marketing stuff more with distractions going on. than I don't know, I need my little special cocoon with like my headset on and music to, to get in the flow and write. Um, what kind of things did you do to try to, I don't know, are you running any promos or things to keep that backlist selling until you like, you're ready for your next launch? Uh, I think you said in October. Yeah, it's in October. Um, so yeah, I've been focusing on my back my backlist. I've got ads, you know, Facebook ads, things like that running to it. Um, just, I like constantly tweak things on Facebook just to make sure that they're still, those ads are still working. Um, I'm very much a project person though. And so I don't write every single day. That's uh, not something I've ever been able to do. Like I don't do the dishes every single day either. So <laughs> that's why my husband's like, okay, I'm doing the dishes every day then. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm a project person. And so when I'm working on a book, I will, I will binge and get it done in about a week or two weeks. And then, you know, the writing and then the revising a week and send it to my editor. But, um, or in like when I have a kid, like I actually will put the book on my phone using Evernote and then I'll edit it while I'm up in the middle of the night, you know, just so that I'm taking advantage every of every spare moment I have. Um, but yeah, so just, just random things. We're in the process of buying a new car. That's been taking a lot of my time. <laughs> it's so time consuming. <laughs> now, uh, earlier you, you mentioned your uh, assistant and, uh, first off, is this like a full-time employee or is it like virtual assistant? Like what's the nature of your assistant? She is a, a virtual assistant. She lives across the country from me. Uh, she's, um, seriously an angel. I think that, yeah. She's like my guardian angel. <laughs> She's kept the company running for me um, a lot of the time. 
but yeah, so she's a, she's not full-time. She's, I do keep her busy depending on what I've got working on what I'm working on. Um, yeah, after my second baby was born, that whole burnout phase that I went through, that's when I started using her whole time. She'd actually been with me for a few months before that, but it wasn't until I went through that huge burnout phase that I started to actually rely on her a great deal. And she's, I've not stopped using her since. I also have an audiovisual guy uh, who does my editing for my podcasts and my courses and YouTube videos and things like that. And so that one's my brother. I can't fire him as easily as my regular assistant, but my regular assistant's now like a sister. So now I can't fire her either, <laughs> but they're great people. So yeah. What kind of tasks do you assign an assistant? Like, I know that sometimes it can feel a little weird to give up the reins on stuff. So like w what jobs do they do? Uh, let's see. So with, okay, I'll start with the nonfiction side. My, I'm, I am a control freak. I love editing my podcast. And so I'll go through and my husband, <laughs> my husband and I, we, our podcast is it's, um, we talk about movies and we gear, like we take writing, you know, examples and, uh, tips from movies and apply them to authors and things like that. And my husband's very, he's funny. Sometimes he says things that I'm like, okay, I'm totally going to cut that out of the episode. And sometimes my brother's like, no, keep it in. And so if I go through and I remove stuff that I don't want in the episode first, and then I send it off to him, he'll go through and make sure the audio quality is okay. Uh, he'll add in our, our little sounder thing at the beginning and the end. He actually is the one who uploads it and things like that. Uh, my virtual assistant, Adriel, she, um, let's see what I have doing for her. She's doing a lot of the, the grunt work. Sorry. Adriel. <laughs> That's why I hired her. <laughs> She's doing a lot of the grunt work for the launch, you know, researching authors, um, and to do newsletter swaps with and websites for promotions. Um, let's see, I have her organize my weekly newsletter list. So if I'm doing a newsletter swap or if I'm involved in some sort of a promotion, I have her go in and put that stuff in. I send pictures to, of my kids to my readers every week. So she'll go in and actually add those to my emails every single week. And then I go in and I add my part and then I send the email. Let's see what else does she do? Um, let's see. She just, she does pretty much everything. I have her upload for me. She formats books for me and, uh, runs promotions for me. Um, yeah, it took me a while to get to the point where I, like you were saying, like I, where I was, uh, I was ready to hand off some projects to her because yeah, being the control freak, I think most authors are, you just, this is your world and, and you're protective of it. You want it to be successful. And so I handed things off to her little by little until I was hand, able to hand off pretty much everything to her. There's a couple things that I still haven't handed over to her because you know, there's no reason to, um, but yeah, so there's a lot of stuff that she does do for me, though. So. It sounds like it made a lot of sense for you to take someone on since you maybe do have some limited hours now and, and you really need to make the best use. And, you know, the, doing those little things might not be the best use of your time. You need to create the stories and, and your podcast. When do you, uh, for somebody that might be thinking, should I get a virtual assistant or, or somebody local? Like when, like what made you consider that? Was it that you were going to have children and you knew you'd have less time or you just reach a point in your business where you thought I need some help? Um, I reached the point where I wasn't making more money because I was spending so much time doing things that 
were better done by somebody else, somebody qualified who wasn't a writer. And so when it started start taking time away from my writing, then that's when I, I hired her. And then also like one thing that I always tell my clients and just other authors in general is sometimes it doesn't make financial sense to hire an assistant. And I'm, my husband and I live debt free. We don't advocate, you know, getting into debt, but sometimes when, like when I hired her, I actually pulled money from the, our personal lives to finance her in the beginning until her work overtook, you know, you know, basically paid for itself so that my book royalties caught up and exceeded. And then now, you know, of course the business pays for her completely, but in the beginning we couldn't technically afford her. And so my advice for authors is always, if you're at the point where you would be producing more and the only thing holding you back is is money possibly, but also all those little random tasks that would be so much better having somebody else do than, you know, borrow money or not, you know, from your personal side or your grandma. I don't know. I, like I said, I don't advocate borrowing money, but, um, we did use personal money to pay the business, which to me is borrowing money. But if we hadn't, you know, I don't know that I would have, it, it prevented that, uh, the burnout from continuing. So that's my advice. If you're at that point, then take on help. Um, or downsize. So <laughs> it's either, you know, one or the other. No, that's a good tip. And, um, I introduced you as a fantasy author in the beginning, but I guess we should mention that, you know, you said you do a YouTube channel and, um, you've written some nonfiction books for writers and I think you do some courses. Do you want to talk about that a little bit and how, uh, cause I know a lot of people want to just live, oh, I just want to be a genre fiction author, you know, and just make a zillion dollars doing that. But it seems like a lot of people find that they should do a mix of that. And they're also interested in teaching authors or offering services and that can become as much income or more income or, you know, 50, 50. How did you decide to go into that? Um, I love teaching. I love marketing and, um, I'm an extrovert and I like talking to people and, but I'm also, I would rather be at home with my kids than out at conferences and things like that. And so I found that I could still help people by having courses and having my books and my podcast. And of course the podcast is free. My books are like 99 cents right now. Um, and then the courses are between $25 and $50 per course. So my goal isn't to make money It's basically to, um, simplify my life. So if I have somebody who has questions, I'll be like, here, the answers are right here in my course. And if it's somebody I'm working with already, I'll just give it to them for free, you know? And so the courses I, they can, they have, they have given, like we have made money off of them, but that's not their purpose for me. I don't look at them as money makers. I look at them more as a, a way to help me, um, you know, build my, my nonfiction business, basically get my name out there so that when I do approach authors for like fantasy swaps and things like that, they recognize my name. Um, I do make the majority of my money on my fantasy side. I'm, I'm more passionate about being a fantasy author than I am about being a nonfiction author. I don't, I have ideas for more nonfiction books, but I don't, it, it just doesn't pull at me as much, you know? And so I mean, if you go and look at my nonfiction books, you'll, you'll, you can tell that I never promote them. <laughs> They've got like one or two reviews on them. They're just there basically for me to give away or, you know, to, um, direct people to my courses and things like that. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm a horrible, um, um, what's the word I'm horrible selling myself as a nonfiction author. <laughs> so. No, I would struggle too. Like I enjoy teaching and, and talking to this, this, uh, talking about this stuff with people, obviously, or we wouldn't keep doing podcasts, <laughs> but, um, it, it can be, 
I don't know. It's, it can be intimidating the idea of like creating a course and like asking people for money. And even though, you know, you know what you're talking about and you have value to give you, if you're kind of an introvert, I think that's a challenge too. Is it's like, it's easier to say, Hey, try my fantasy. It's fun. You know, (laughs) whereas I I can teach you things, give me money. (laughs) Yeah, no. And seriously with like the nonfiction stuff, um, with, with people who are like, well, your books don't have a whole lot of reviews on them and things like that. I'm like, well, I, I take what I teach and I apply it to my fantasy stuff. So you go look at my fantasy stuff. They have, they're well-reviewed and things like that. But yeah, it's, I, I guess some of it is definitely a little bit of, I mean, I'm an extrovert, but I'm still, um, what's the word? I'm still not super out there and like, Hey, take my courses and everything. And so it's that whole rejection, you know, I post and I'm like, Hey, go buy my courses. And, and if I don't do a huge thing, the way the, the authors that have the big courses that cost a lot of money do, then you don't get a whole lot of results, but I don't have the time to make it big. And so I'd rather be more, you know, these courses are for educational purposes and they basically pay for themselves. So like the $25 goes to my brother who's, you know, is the one who edits the courses and things like that, rather than stopping everything on the fiction side and focusing on nonfiction and making a huge release and making a lot of money there. uh, I'd rather just have them there for a way to represent what I can teach and then focus all my time on my fiction and kids, you know, Right. It's almost like we've talked about having a, if you do a pen name, you know, you're going to have to basically create two author platforms. Same thing with nonfiction because they're not really going to sell each other. So it's somebody, something somebody has to be into and decide they want to do and yeah, no doing both. Yeah. So I guess we promised to talk about mailing lists and uh, how to rock them and help people get more more readers to sign up and buy books. So first I want to ask you, because I think you used to be with MailChimp, or maybe you still are, and um, back in May, this is 2019, in case anybody stumbles across it in the future, they made some changes. So could you talk about that a little bit? Did it affect you? And are you still recommending them as a mailing list host for authors? Okay. So the changes that MailChimp made, um, they basically, they're kind of pivoting in their business model. It's it's not a huge pivot, but it is a pivot and it's, and it's kind of upset a couple of a bunch of people. So what they've done is they're basically making it so that unsubscribes count toward your total subscription, so total subscribers. So you're getting charged for unsubscribes. And the reason they're doing that is because they want you to be able to take those unsubscribes and say, you know, target, retarget them on Facebook or something else. So you you can still use those email addresses and still have the information for that. You can't obviously email them because they have, they have requested not to hear from you again, but that doesn't mean you can't, you know, create a lookalike audience on Facebook for them or something like that. Um, and I, this only applied to people who are in the free, um, you know, the free plan or whatever, up to 2000 emails. And that, that was a lot of my clients. And so I had a bunch of them asking me, what do I do now? I don't want to be paying for my unsubs- unsubscribes. And so I decided to start researching a, a newsletter providers for a course that I was going to give to them. And I started digging in and I actually found out that a lot of, a lot of newsletter providers do that. Um, a Weber, for example, they also charge you for, for, for all of the unsubscribed, um, sorry, for all of the emails who have, have unsubscribed and for the ones that are currently subscribed. And there's a couple others that do that, but um, I, I recommend MailChimp if that sort of thing does not bother you. They're still a very solid option. Um, I don't use them. I, I do still have an account with them and I do still have subscribers there. I still have my auto sequences running there, but I'm actually now using a, 
a program that costs like less than $5 a month. Um, it's called Sendy. And what it is, is it's something that you, it's a one-time fee of like $59 and you host it on your domain, um, wherever you host your email. So like me on GoDaddy is hosted there. And then the emails are sent through Amazon's SES, which is like, I think it stands for simple email solutions. And so they handle the bulk email, you know, the sending of the emails and then they charge you for those. Um, they don't actually store the emails. The emails are stored on your domain. I know I've had a couple of people say, but aren't they going to compare that to your reviewer email lists and remove re you know reviews? And it's not, they won't do that. They don't actually track the emails themselves. Um, but they charge 10 cents for every thousand emails you send or a dollar for every 10,000 emails. And a lot of authors, that's going to be like $5 a month, you know? if you email like once a week or even once a month, um, it's technical to set up. If you don't understand what a C mark is or a C name or a TST file, things like that. Um, I would recommend hiring somebody to do it for you. You can set it up. Um, you can hire somebody on Fiverr for $10. They'll go and set everything up for you. And once it's set up, you don't have to pay for it ever again, except for Amazon's, um, Amazon sending emails. And the good thing about it is Amazon is super, super picky about how they, how, you know, they're very, very powerful. Their email you know, program, how they email people, it almost always go, goes through. And so they're very picky about whether emails are spam or not. And so you get better um, deliverability through them than you would through another program. Uh, they're also very solid. They pay, you know, their whole system and their whole um, business is based on email. And so they're very careful about um, reliability and deliverability. And so they are actually... Um, they're not going to like fall apart and crash and things like that. I mean, it's Amazon. They'll probably die eventually. Every company dies eventually. Um, but if so, if like for my clients who don't want to have to deal with setting up on their domain, there's actually several companies that, that do Sendy like um, options and they have like, you know, drag and drop campaign editors and things like that. And just all sorts of things that you can do. And they cost a little bit more, but they're still like $39 for 25,000 subscribers. You know, I mean, it's just insane compared to MailChimp and Aweber and ConvertKit, which by the way, I used to think ConvertKit was the most expensive option. It's not even close to the most expensive option. There are some very, very pricey newsletter service providers out there. Anyway, long answer. Right. No, that's, no, that's good to know. That'll be an interesting option for, for people to check out. Um, is there, are you able to like, if you're with another host right now and you wanted to take all the email addresses and start through them, would that be possible? Or do you just kind of have to start from scratch and, and ask people to, Hey, come opt in over here. Are you, are you saying like, take your emails from your old provider to Sendy or whatever? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Like if, let's say you have a MailChimp list already and you want to migrate it over to this. Is that possible? Oh yeah. Yeah. No. So once you buy it, it's yours and you do whatever you want with it. So I just uploaded my email addresses and, um, sent out my emails and I've only been on it for a couple of weeks. Let's see what's the date today. Today's the 25th of June. And so whenever this goes live, that's, I've been up for a couple of weeks on it. And, um, yeah, so it's pretty much yours. They don't, they don't do anything. There's no handholding. They don't ask you to resubscribe. Basically once you buy it, it's in your hands and whether you crash and burn, it's on you and not them. They're not even associated with it anymore. And so, I mean, you want to make sure you can't, you know, work with Amazon unless you guarantee that you have a, you know permission to email these people. And so, or Amazon will make you crash and burn. Um, but yeah, so once you've got it, then your every all the powers in your hands. And that's what I love about it. Like 
it, they're not going to cancel me unless I start doing something stupid like MailChimp, AWeber, ConvertKit, these other um, providers, they do have sometimes have these rules that if you don't read the fine print, you're not aware of. And when you're doing a program like Sendy, the fine print is like five lines long and it's very easy to understand. And once it's all set up, it's pretty foolproof amongst, unless you're actually doing something legitimately stupid, which most authors don't do. Yeah, I don't think we're usually the people who are just, I don't know, real aggressive types with our email marketing. Yeah. Um, so, okay, let's say people have this set up or they're with MailChimp or AWeber or someone and they're wondering like, you know, they're, I guess what are just some of the basic things that we should be doing as authors trying to get people on our list and then what do we ask of them or what do we send them once they're there? So I like, I'm, I'm, I'm big on uh, reader magnets. I think that that is a great way to get readers to want to join your newsletter list. Um, I think every author should have an auto sequence, an automation sequence set up, you know, drip campaign. I think pretty much everybody who listens will know what that is by now, right? I'm just assuming. Maybe I shouldn't assume. Should I assume? <laughs> well, this is, our, this is our new podcast and this is our first show really going over mailing lists. So, okay. I, you know, we'll probably have some people that are on the newer side. Okay. Um, okay. So an automation sequence is basically, it's a, a series of emails that you set up to go out automatically based on some like things that you set up like triggers and things like that. And so when somebody signs up, then the first email, for example, they could get your free download or whatever, whatever you're using to get them to join your list. And then the, the auto sequence just happens automatically. And it's something that you set off to the side where you don't have to think about it. And it helps readers come to know, like, and trust you so that you don't have to be doing that the whole time. And, um, I, I do recommend that read that authors also email regularly, um, no less than once a month. And, um, mainly because if you're emailing only when you have a new release, it's kind of like, bye, bye, bye. Hey, you haven't heard from me for a long time. Will you give me money? You know? And so, but it's also good because then the, the companies that they have their emails hosted with. So like Gmail or Yahoo or whatever, when they recognize you and see that you're emailing regularly, they're less likely to call you spam. And, um, yeah, so I also, I like in those emails, you want to make sure that you're, you're focusing on being yourself and putting your personality into them. And some people are like, but I don't have a personality. <laughs> That's I've, I've gotten that a lot over the last year. I'm like, yes, you have a personality. Everybody has a personality. And the thing is like, like, for example, like my husband will, will take him as an example. He's a very sarcastic person with a very dry sense of humor. And people at first are like, was he trying to be funny? Was, was that a joke? And then some people are like, oh my gosh, I'm so offended. And then other people just love it. And I'm like, every, every reader has a perfect author and every author has a perfect reader. And your goal is to find the people who fit your personality type because people don't necessarily buy anymore because of good authors. Um, they'll, they'll find their favorite authors and they'll read those people, but they're going to also look for people that they match with emotionally too. And so for example, I'll have people on my newsletter list who have never read anything I've written except my freebie or even not that in some cases. And my emails, I get weekly responses from readers that say, Hey, your email got me interested in your book. And I read it and I loved, it, and I'm reading your books now. And so if your emails have your personality in them, then your personality is going to be in your books too. And so readers, it'll, it's a natural, um, it's a natural segue from, you know, your emails to your books and things like that. And I found that that has, does help with a lot of downloads and things like that. Let's see. Did that answer the question? <laughs> I would say that it did. Yeah. Um, 
There's a couple of things about newsletters. There's a couple of things about writing in general, uh, but newsletters in particular that feel like a little bit of a catch 22. Like for example, uh, you mentioned uh, reader magnet, right? Yeah. Obviously a reader magnet is going to draw people into your, to your newsletter, but how do you get your word out that you have this reader magnet? Like what is the nature of the reader magnet? Um, okay. So for me, my reader magnet is a box set of stories that are related to pretty much all of my fantasy series. In the beginning, I was doing, um, one book or books that were just random books that, you know, that I didn't sell very often. I would just give those out for free, or I would give out the first book for free or the second book or an, a related side story. And I found that that only targeted readers of one series or maybe two series. And so now I give a box set that has a whole bunch of stories in it that are from all of my series, all of my fantasy series. So that if somebody likes one fantasy series, they get something from that series. And then they can also be introduced to my other series through that same box set. And so in order to get that, the, the word out about that, I do promotions on a permafree. And so permafreeze are really, really easy. I know it's that whole, do permafreeze still work? They do still work for me. You have to, you have to mix things up. Occasionally I'll have a box set be a permafree for several months and um, so I've got a 10 book series, a box set from that series of books one through four is not a huge financial burden for me to give away for free. And it actually increases my downloads. And so inside that box set, I'll have information on the exclusive box set the readers can get by signing up for my newsletter list. And so if I'm pushing that box set, then it naturally builds my newsletter list, list which also naturally, um, naturally builds my ARC team and gains, gets reviews on my books because I have that as all part of my auto sequence. Um, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> all right. Now, um, what, like some people, this is, this is the six figure authors. Uh, uh, some people have been doing at this for a while and uh, newsletters can sort of go stagnant. Uh, uh, you know, you'll start off a newsletter and you'll be getting dozens of, uh, of new signups and it just slowly trickles down. Do you have any sort of, and this also goes for people starting a new newsletter, but do you have any sort of advice for like jump starting or revitalizing a newsletter that maybe has slowed down or hasn't gotten started? Yeah. Okay. So jump starting um, a list like, okay. So jump starting revitalizing is kind of like the same thing, right? But jump starting is like when it's completely dead is the way I picture, it. you know, you jump start a car. Um, so in that case, I would probably do list building things. I would try to re-engage the current readers, but I'd also focus on adding to it because sometimes people, <laughs> um, if any of you ever have ever watched better off Ted, <laughs> there's a line in there. Every, everybody dies, Linda. So sometimes, I mean, things happen. You don't know what's going on in your reader's life. And I have had, you know, emails bounce back. I've heard back that some, you know, some of them have gotten sick. They don't read anymore or they've passed away or they've completely changed their lifestyle and things like that. And so you can't just expect that once they wanted to be on your list, that they still want to be on your list. And so I'll do things that will, will re-engage them. So I'll do giveaways. I do contests. Um, I'll do newsletter swaps with other authors. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So you get, you'll get a lot of bad email addresses at that point. So if you start emailing again, after you haven't been emailing for a while, you will get bounces, you will get unsubscribes and that's not a bad thing. You'll, you want to make sure that you're also focusing on, um, on cleaning out your list and things like that. You don't want to have a whole lot of dead weight in there. Um, and we can talk, I'll talk about that, I guess, in a little bit, if I remember, but, um, I do do multi-author <laughs> Lindsay laughed. <laughs> um, this is what happens when you give the questions ahead of time. You're like, Oh no, wait, I won't talk about that for three more questions. <laughs> <to this one." laughs> 
Yes. Yeah. So um, I do, I like doing the, the big newsletter list builders because I found very, very dedicated readers that are just as dedicated as my organic subscribers through those types of things. And so when my, my list is starting to die, I'm like, I, I will go out and do some big newsletter builder and things like that. And I'm very, very careful with them. I make sure they go through a completely separate automation sequence. And if they're not engaged, I cut out all the dead ones and then put all the good ones into my main list. But those ones, they, they become just as dedicated and as my others. Um, but like, and like I was saying, your personality will attract those, the ones who resonate with you, they'll stick around. But yeah, so I'll start, I would start emailing regularly, like once a week, once a month or whatever like that. Um, ask them what they want, give them freebies. And then, like I said, clean out the ones that, that are like the dead weight and things like that. And there was a question at one point, wasn't there? I think there's a question in the future (laughs) that Lindsay was talking about. (laughs) No spoilers for two questions ahead. (laughs) Um, I, I actually, I love this idea of putting together a bundle of all of your bonus stuff from different series. Cause right now on my sci-fi list, it's been just kind of like, I keep adding things like here's the download link to the new, you know, background short stories. And so now there's like eight things for people to download. I'm like, Oh, that would make sense. I could just put them all in one box set and then have you know, keep it tidy with only one link for them to download. So yeah. And what's great about my feeling. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like with what you, I used to have like up to eight, you know, freebies and I didn't want people to join from one spot and say, Hey, wait a second. Why did they get this free book? And I don't. And so I'd have them like in my automation sequence, but what it turned out to be was a whole ton of free books. And so I found that putting them all into one box set simplified it a great deal so that readers weren't feeling like I was going to be giving them a whole bunch of free stuff all the time. It was one item, but because it's a box set, it's a bigger item. And then on the book cover, I'll have, I'm in the spine. I've got, you know, listed three or four of the stories. And then at the end it says, and more so that when I have a new series come out, I can add more and not have to change the book cover. And then all I do is go into book funnel and I add that to the description to the book funnel description. And so that's, it's so, it's super flexible, you know? That makes a lot of sense. And then if you're just doing things like short stories, you don't have to worry about getting a, a book cover just for this thing that you're going to do free to your mailing list. So yeah. I will keep that in mind for the next time I want to take a day and kind of, you know, trigger that up. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. but at least it's easy to format. I just, I'd have to get a cover, a new cover to encompass all the things in the bundle, but it, yeah. yeah. Sounds like a good idea. And um, we should point out, at least with mine, I put exclusive stuff in there that they can't just go choose to buy from Amazon. Is that what you also do? Yeah, everything that's in my box set, except one one instance, all of it is stuff that they cannot get unless they sign up for my, my list. And those ones, those types of things, I've gotten so many more downloads on them. And they don't, you don't want them to be just like random things that are, you know, um, so a side story that's not involved. I try to pick something that is, that intrigues readers like heavily, like if it involves romance, a lot of readers, you know, why was that, that character thinking that at that point? And so then I write a little story about that. You know, why was he a jerk? Write a little story about that. The things that people ask you about the most, write a story about that and stick that in there and then make it be exclusive. And it's really enticing. Right. I've definitely found out that if you have it as a mailing list freebie, but you also have it for 99 cents on Amazon, a lot of people are just like, I'm just going to pay the 99 cents and forget that mailing list stuff. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
So you mentioned kind of that um, you get people from maybe the back of the book when you run the perma freeze and uh, probably get some new signups that way. And then you also, it sounds like you do some maybe joint promotions with other authors uh, and might have two separate lists that you later move people over into the other one if they open stuff. And can, can you explain that in case somebody is interested in, I don't know, keeping like a gold list over here and then maybe these are the people that they like my free stuff but haven't purchased yet or how do you, what do you do? Yeah, so that was the question that I was hinting at earlier. (laughs) Okay, so yeah, so what I do is I'll create a completely brand new list and it's not going to be one that's ever, that has complete, you know, new statistics, everything. I don't want it to have anything attached to any of my other lists. And I send them through a a newsletter, I'm sorry, an automation sequence that is designed to get readers to, um, to come to know, like, and trust me or to introduce me to them. And basically I treat it as if they've never heard of me before. And so the first email is very short. It's not, not going to have a whole lot of stuff about my personality in it. It has that freebie. And then I, I'll have like a video at the end of it that says, you know, that's me introducing myself so that they kind of get a feel of who I am. And then I send them each in each email that goes out, will have a little bit more about me until I've sucked them in with all of my kid pictures and videos of me and (laughs) all the psychoticness that is my personality. And then, but at the end of it, then I will, sometimes I'll have an email that says, if you want to stick around, you know, let me know. But generally what I do is I just, at that point, I just get rid of people who are not, um, not uh, responding, not um, opening and clicking. And then I move the ones that stick around into my newsletter list that is my main list. And so some authors will keep everything segregated all the way throughout. And that's really a great idea if you have the time for that, because that helps you know which promotions are ultimately the most effective, but I don't have that kind of time. And so I will, I will have them be in their own automation sequence in their own list. And then I join them back together into one list. And usually, like I was saying at that point, I found that the people from the giveaways and from the multi-author promotions, they tend to be just as dedicated as my organic readers. um, Because, they by that point a lot of them have read something I've written a lot of them feel like they know me and and then that way my main list is more representative of you know more organic readers in that case uh, I assume you have a different list for your nonfiction and your fantasy what would you recommend for someone that's maybe doing sci-fi and fantasy or fantasy and contemporary romance should they have different lists or just do some little play around in the background and try to segregate people when they sign up so that they only get emails about the genre they're interested in Lindsay we don't believe in segregation <laughs> <laughs> okay I'll so flag because I use that word once the search for a you know once Google can search audio. Yes. <laughs> and, and then your, and then your podcast will go down. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So it depends. My question is always, uh, how much time do you have? Um, what's your life like? I do know some authors that will join their lists and they'll have tags on separate, you know, separate genres and things like that. I like keeping everything completely separate because then I can look at each list individually and see how healthy they are completely separate. I don't have to dig down into tags or anything. Um, and also it's, and my question for people is always, well, how much do you care about Amazon algorithms? Because if you care about Amazon algorithms, then you're going to want to keep your list separate. My nonfiction authors, they don't care about my fantasy or I just assume they don't, maybe they do. And, and a lot of my fantasy readers don't care about my romance. You know, a lot of readers don't switch genres very easily. And so 
Amazon algorithms, they pay attention to the traffic that you're sending to those books. And if you're sending one link to all of your readers who read the Western romance and the nonfiction and the fantasy, then they're going to, out of curiosity, maybe like, well, what does her new book cover look like? Or what does her description look like? Or wait, what Andrea writes another genre, even if they don't care, they'll go and check it out. And so that causes problems on the Amazon algorithm side. And, or what you can do if you don't, if you don't have the time, you just want to have one list, send them to a website that, you know, requires them. So like my main website at the front of it, it says andreapearsonbooks.com and it has an option to click on fantasy, Western romance, sorry, just, or the sweet romance, which is all my romance or my author stuff. And then once they get to that side, then they have to click again to get to the books on each of those sides. And so it, it causes them, it makes more work for them basically. So somebody who's not really interested is not going to end up clicking all the way to Amazon. And so that helps there too. And, and I do, you, you can do that as well. But if time, it, setting them up in the beginning, it's, that's where the most of the time is. And once you've got it all set up, then it doesn't take a whole lot of time to keep those readers segregated, you know? And so it's just requires emailing separately regularly too, which I don't email my nonfiction list. I think the last time I emailed my nonfiction list was probably eight months ago, <laughs> but uh, in my romance list was probably a year ago. So <laughs> fantasy, that's, that's where my attention is. So, yeah. Yeah. It can be hard to come up with things for one uh, list if you're only publishing in the other list this year, but I've, I've done that and had long gaps and just restarted it when I switched back to that genre and, you know, you'll get some unsubscribes, but then you'll be like, I've been waiting. Other people will be like, I've been waiting and waiting for you to come back and start writing in my genre. So I feel people are generally forgiving. They are. Yeah. So you mentioned that um, when you did like a promo, you might have a series of autoresponders with, you know, pictures of your kids and maybe some freebies. Do you do the same thing with the organic signups that are coming from the back of the book? Uh, you mentioned you've got this bundle that you can send them to. Do you then email them again? You know, I, I assume people will know that you can set it up to like every week something goes out for the first, whatever, six weeks. Or you just say, here's your bundle, and then you're just going to get the regular broadcasts after that. Um, I do, I have a different automation sequence that is a little bit more personal right off the start, just because usually by the time they finished a book, they, they want to get to know me more. And so I give a little bit more of my personality in the beginning. Um, I ha so I have several different autoresponders and I, I, they're absolutely powerful. I think that they're wonderful. Um, so the first one has that, the link to download the book, the box set, and with the, you know, the related stories in it. And then each end of each email, like I said, will introduce me to them. And there is, I mean, you can, if readers, sorry, if listeners want to, they can go and listen to our last, our last episode, the one on science fiction, fantasy marketing podcast, where I actually talk about the autoresponder sequence that I use the most. Um, but now the things that I do differently, I do have a video in almost every single email of me talking to my readers. I started doing Facebook live videos and I've found that if they hear your voice, they respond better also. Like they feel like they know you just like me. When we went to the business masterclass, I was like, Lindsay, hey, how's it going? You don't know who I am, <laughs> but I listen to you. So I know who you are, <laughs> but yeah, almost all of them include pictures. So the, the whole goal of with them is to help them continue to know, like, and trust me just because they've read one of my books doesn't mean they're going to remember my name in a week or even a day, you know? So actually there are studies that have shown that people don't remember an author's name until they've read four or more books by that author. And most people don't remember the names of the books. And so you want to do your best to help them, to help them read your books, get through a series and, and come to know you. 
um, my autoresponder for my main list includes an email that asks for them to post reviews and depending on which book I'm focusing on. Um, so right now I'm focusing on a book called The Shade Amulet. And if people go and look at it, only about 40 of those reviews came from my ARC team. The rest came from people on my list that going through my autoresponder and saying, yes, I would love to review your book for you. And then I also asked them to join my ARC team. And then, you know, I just throw random things in there sometimes. Like my husband and I went through a phase where we were looking for, we went through a phase where we wanted food that was really good. <laughs> so we were asking for recipes. And so I, uh, I had an email in my autoresponder that asked for recipes along the lines of the food we were asking for. And so that was very helpful too. So it just depends on what you're working on. If you want to pull your readers and find out where they're from, you can add an email to your autoresponder that automatically asks them, you know, where are you from? What, how did you find me? Um, what's your age? What's your gender? What, what do you normally read? How long do you read a book? What price point is a good price for a book? And things like that. Just anything you want to find out. And I have found that readers love it when I ask them these kinds of questions. They absolutely love being involved. And so I do polls quite regularly. Um, they're fun to get too. fun to read through their answers. <laughs> People are very blunt sometimes. <laughs> this is true. I've, I've got, I had my very first series I wrote. I still get a lot of email. Like every time I'm in a poll, like, what should I write next? More books in that series. <laughs> like, actually, You're wasting secure. your time, Lindsay. <laughs> I know. Like, I don't like any of your other stuff. Just write more in that series. Than <laughs> those characters. I'm like, all right, I'll keep it in mind. Thank you. <laughs> That's a good um, tip to add, like ask for reviews on, on whatever, four weeks in or something, because I know a lot of people, like a good place to ask for reviews is in the back matter of a book. But if you ask for too many things, like in the back matter, they're probably only going to do one thing. So I'm always like, well, what's the most important thing? And usually that's like, get them on the mailing list. And yeah. then later you can ask for the review if you need it. Yeah. And I've actually found that if I ask for reviews before I, I invite them to join my street team, I'm more likely to get legitimate people to join my street team. And so what I do is I ask them to post a review. And then in order for them to join my street team, I require them to post reviews on two books. And if they've at that point, they've already posted a review on the other one, then they only need to post a review on, an, on one more book. And then it's easier for them to join. And then that way I'm getting people who are actually going to be posting reviews. And so that's been really helpful too. Right. It's, it's like, you can't uh, make bargains with people, you know, like Amazon's terms of service or like, you can't just say like, I'll give you a free book if you give a review, but that's kind of a way to vet them. And <laughs> you get, you know, you're getting people that do reviews because they already did reviews. So that's a win. All right. My last question before, I think Joe has one too on uh, newsletters, but my last one is just, do you have any tips? First of all, I guess, what is a good open rate for an author to expect? Cause I feel like we have really high expectations, not knowing what the industry average is here. Uh, and then what are some things that people can do to improve? You, you've kind of talked about it, asking questions and polls and stuff, but to get a better open rate and more responses from their sign up people who have signed up. Okay. So it depends on the genre when it comes to good open rates. Um, fantasy is, has been inundated with authors asking people to sign their lists or join their lists. So I found, I mean, open rates have declined there. Uh, a good open rate is between 30 and 50% with most authors being around 35 to 40% and sometimes 30%. If you're lower than that, then you should um, look at cleaning your newsletter list, uh, getting rid of the dead weight and, having a healthy newsletter list is really good because it helps you know when something is actually working. If you have a whole bunch of people that never open, it dilutes your efforts. So you can't tell if your, your latest email was actually working. If you can't tell if that subject line actually worked or not. 
so that's a good way to, um, to get them to open regularly, um, and open, it's kind of a catch 22. If they're not opening regularly, your emails aren't going to get to them. And if your emails aren't going to, aren't getting to them, then they can't open regularly, but you want, you know, so in order to get them to open regularly, you, you start at the beginning with them. You build a good relationship right off the bat. You don't, screw around and, and, you know, not email at all and then start emailing, you know, so you want to set the basis and the foundation in the beginning for what you're going to be doing. And of course you can always change that, but once, if you can get them opening regularly from the beginning, then obviously it's going to be easier for them to open regularly later. Um, so if you're starting out later, you're trying to figure out how to increase your open rates. Now I, I recommend studying what makes a good subject line, you know, switch things up, go and Google good subject lines, and then try it, test things out, do AB testing, split testing, um, be creative. Don't, don't use like your book title always in your, in your, your uh, subject line, because people who aren't opening your emails, that, that book title doesn't mean anything to them. And you want to do that sometimes for people who do open regularly. Um, don't put the words like free and giveaway or sells or things like that in your emails all the time. Sometimes it's okay, but it actually will flag your email a lot. And one thing that I've also noticed that if you put like dollar signs inside of your email. Like my book is 99 cents with a dollar sign that that increases the chance of the book ending up or sorry, the email ending up in a spam folder somewhere. And so sometimes I'll say like nine bucks, you know, B U C K S so that it doesn't flag things. And that's probably gonna end up getting flagged eventually. Um, but so, yeah, so basically studying what opens good open rates, keeping your list clean so that you can tell what's actually working and what's not working. And yeah, email regularly just to keep people engaged so that, you know, Gmail knows that you're a legitimate person. Okay. Uh, so now let's imagine that somebody didn't do any of that and they ended up with a list and they have a list that's been going for a while, but the list has not been pruned. Uh, it, it needs to be rehabilitated. Like how do you get rid of dead weight on your list? Um, so I think it depends on how long it has been since you last emailed. I would recommend do not create a new list. Don't move those emails to a new list, leave them where they are because you can flag your account and get your account suspended if you haven't emailed in a long time. And so for example, I had an email list that was that I didn't have an easy way for people to unsubscribe. They, this is back in the stone age. They would email me to ask to be unsubscribed. And when I moved that to MailChimp, MailChimp cleaned. I mean, they, they yelled at me first off and then they're like, you need to clean this list, email them individually, ask them to resubscribe. And I know that some, some newsletter providers will actually delete email addresses when you do that. And so you're going to want to keep it where it is and send out two emails. Um, so one that reminds them of who you are and maybe offers a freebie, you know, and I would have inside that email, I would actually have a teaser that gets them started reading uh, because people are lazy. They won't click away all the time to download. But if you can get them in that email reading something that intrigues them, then you can usually get them to download. Not usually it's, it's hard. Sometimes you can get them to download. Yeah. Like 95% of people of a dead list, they will download your freebie. That's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, it's hard to re-engage, um, a dead list. Um, and then, and then the second email, ask them to either resubscribe or ask them to respond with a yes, or have them fill out a Google form if they want to stick around or just pay attention to the opens and clicks and then take the ones that are healthy, put them in a new list start a new list with that because the dead weight will drag your numbers down. And like I said earlier, it, it's hard to tell if something's working, if you have a whole bunch of people that aren't going anywhere. Um, I don't know if I ever recommend the nuclear option. It, I, like I said, it depends on how long it's been since you last emailed. Um, you don't, 
I think that sometimes like people's lives change. They can go from being interested, not interested, but they can also go from being not interested back to interested again. And so I think it's safer to send an email and, um, and risk. I, I would pull it personally and do it from your author email directly rather than from say MailChimp, just in case, depending on how big your list is. If your list is really big and you have um, if you get too many unsubscribes, something like that, your account will get suspended. So it just depends how big your list is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, let's wrap up with a couple of extra other marketing things rather than uh, just newsletters in case anybody's eyes are, or their head's about to explode. <laughs> um, you know, it, we're up to 2019 now. So what are some of your favorite marketing tactics that authors should be implementing that are still working here in 2019, assuming they're doing all the things you already talked about with the newsletter? Um, um, okay. So there, there's one that I'm really passionate about, and I think I'll talk about that list last, <laughs> but I think read books in your genre, indie books in your genre, reach out to those authors and work with them. If you're passionate about a book, your readers will be passionate about it. That author will get good results from you. You can build relationships based on a mutual love for a person's book. And so, and that relates to the one thing that I want to talk about last. <laughs> I'll go back to that. Um, Facebook ads still work for me. I know that a lot of people say they don't work. I think that what happens is people get set on one tactic and then they're like, this no, it's no longer working. Facebook ads don't work anymore. That means you need to mix things up. So try automatic targeting, try, um, aiming for impressions instead of clicks, try, you know, just try different things, M you know, mix up your images and your, and your descriptions, follow authors on Facebook and start paying attention to the ads that get sent to you. If an ad has a lot of opens or sorry, has a lot of comments and a lot of likes, a lot of shares, then you know that that ad is probably doing well. So see, you know, copy what that author is doing with their ads and do that with your ads and just experiment with things all the time. Um, Amazon ads still work. My husband's the one who does Amazon ads for me. I'm not into that side as much anymore now that I've handed it off to him. But he says that the automated uh, keywords work really well on Amazon right now, not necessarily keywords, those thousands of lists of keywords that authors used to do. We have a theory about that. Amazon used to encourage up to a thousand keywords because Amazon's algorithms were learning what was working so that they could better improve their automated lists and suggestions. And so now their automated lists are actually working better than um, their automated keywords, sorry, are actually working better than keywords that authors are coming up on their, with on their own. Um, I think that rapid release is still a good option. If you can't write quickly enough to do a huge rapid release where like once a, a month you're releasing, then write three books and then rapid release those and then write the rest of them and then take a couple months off, three months off to focus on other things and then write some more. Um, but my most favorite one, this is something like, why are not authors not doing this more? I don't understand download bonuses. <laughs> when I have a new launch or a new release and I want people to, and I really, really want them to do it, I do download bonuses. And so it's, and that, okay. So I get like 75 to hundred percent to 150% to 200% more downloads when I use download bonuses and download bonuses can be anything from like an illustration or a, um, books or short stories, or, uh, I've done word search puzzles. I've done color. Um, I'll take my book cover and convert it into a, a like a cartoon for people's color. Um, cause you know, back in the day, those adult coloring books were really popular. Um, they're still popular. People just don't talk about them very much anymore. 
Uh, and then, so then when readers, what they do is, and this is totally legal, by the way, a lot of legitimate companies and people do this that are not in the indie author world. So you can send out an email or sorry, you can set up some download bonuses that are based off of things that you know your readers like. You can ask your readers ahead of time, what would you guys like as an incentive to download a book? And then you set it up to, um, to go out automatically when somebody forwards proof of purchase to your, like a Gmail account. So what I'll do is I'll be, I'll do like a dummy email address, call it book title, download bonuses at gmail.com. And then you can set up Zapier to automatically email them a link to download their download bonuses. And so the download bonuses that I like the best are, and my readers actually like them the best are exclusive stories from me that, that aren't available anywhere else. These are going to be separate from that exclusive box that people get for free. And they're going to be like, not really long. It's not, you don't want it to be a huge time commitment on your part just because, you know, so don't give them like 10 books for free or something like that. But one of the other things that I do is, so when I find an author whose books I love, I will reach out to that author and I'll say, Hey, how would you feel about offering this book for free to my readers who download this, my, my book that I'm focusing on. And what that does for me is it gets people to download my books, but it also allows me to share some of my most favorite authors with my readers. So for this book launch that I've coming up in October, I've got uh, two other authors' books in it. I'll have three of my own stories in it. And these authors, they have other books that are absolutely fantastic. And so I get to introduce my readers to some of my favorite uh, authors' books, but it also gets that author, it leads readers to their other books as well so that it benefits them as well. And so I'm, I'm very passionate about download bonuses. I think they're fantastic. And I, I don't know that I've heard of any other indie authors who do them regularly like I do. Um, I don't know. Have you? I don't think we've discussed this before. And I just want to clarify, because I'm curious, do you mean you put the link at the, like at the back of the book and says, send a proof of purchase to this email address? Could you just put a link to the download bonuses in the back of the book? How are you? Um, <laughs> I guess it's okay. complicated. I want to. So, so you can, you can put a link to the back of the book and that's not a bad idea, but the thing is, um, sometimes, I mean, I don't know what the Amazon's rules are. I don't want to encourage people to download and then return just so they can get the free stuff. Um, they, that would actually work really, really well. That's not a bad idea, Lindsay. <laughs> so no, let just, me I just want to make it clear so that. So I understand because I like that. That'd be kind of fun to send like, here's a word search with my character names and my world stuff and just yeah. a fun thing for them to, you know, I don't know. And is there, is there anything afterwards you're trying oh, to get them on your list with the emails or? Actually, you know what? I think putting the link to the download bonuses at the end of the book might be against Amazon's terms of terms of services. Um, because you remember how they used to, people used to have links for giveaways at the end of the book and then Amazon shut down those accounts. So I think that that actually, I would have to look into that a little bit more. Um, what I do, I don't, in, in the past, I've not even mentioned in the book anywhere that there are download bonuses available for it. I don't put it in the description on the book. I will do it on my newsletter side, or like if I'm running a multi-author promotion, I'll have that information on the blog. I'll put it on my website. Uh, if I'm doing a blog tour, I'll have all the blog tour hosts mention it. And then that way it's just cleaner on Amazon's side. I don't want to run into any problems where Amazon thinks you're trying to cheat. Like, you know, especially if you're in Kindle Unlimited, if you have a link at the end of the book, readers are going to click back to that. And then that could trigger Amazon's hate um, people and they'll, you know, ruin your account. <laughs> um, no, I'm but, curious now because like, I always put a link to my website. So like, you could just, it seems like you ought to be like, just go to a specific page on your website. That's like for that book. 
and here's the stuff. But yeah, I, I understand wanting to make sure you're not angering the Zon and uh, <laughs> by doing anything that could be construed as, you know, I, I figure if they bought the book and the link was in the back of the book, at that point, you're just like, here, go to my website, more stuff. Yeah. Um, then the other thing about that though, is when I do download bonuses, they're time sensitive. So they only are available within the first week of the book is launched. And if you put it in the book, people who read like six months later, they're not going to be available anymore. Um, and the reason for that is I want them to download within a specific period so that I can catch, you know, make the ranking and, and catch Amazon's email system. So if your, if your promotion is not time specific, then I think that would work really well putting a link at the end of the book where it doesn't matter if they don't download right away. But a download bonus, the purpose of them is to get them to download. And, you know, immediately you want them to download during that specific week. And so um, I would, I, I tell my readers that the download bonuses are only available until the end of that launch week. So that just so I can get them to download the book during that, that time, though, um, you could do it where you say, I'll, you know, I'm uploading a new version of the book that will no longer have the link in it at, at the end of that week. And so then that way they could still get their download bonuses, even if it takes them six weeks to, or six months to read the book. And then, you know, so that would actually be a good workaround. I'm liking this. Thank you for helping me brainstorm for my next book launch. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like this too. I'm, uh, I, and I see what you're saying about if you send it out to your list as an incentive, because you know people do that too with like, if they launch at 99 cents, like, oh, you can get it for 99 cents, but you have to get it this week. But then you had to launch at 99 cents to your favorite people who would probably willing to buy at full price. This instead rewards them for getting something early that they were going to eventually buy anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm liking that. That actually saves a lot of work if you put the link in the back instead of, I mean, Zapier is wonderful. I don't know if you've heard of Zapier before, have you? I have heard of it, but not used in this context. To, I think you said that was how you were checking the proof of purchase and automatically sending them the stuff. Yeah. So what it is, what do you do is you set it up so that their little zap, it's like their automatic task. So readers would forward a screenshot or their, their, like their confirmation email from Amazon and Zapier. As soon as that email comes in, they automatically send out an email that you type up and it goes to them and it includes a link to the download bonuses. And you know, sometimes people are like, well, how do you keep people from sending fake proof? Well, first off, you don't tell them it's an automatic email. Second off, I've never actually had anybody, and I've been doing download bonuses for a long time. I've never had anybody email a fake proof of purchase, you know, or whatever. I always make sure so that it doesn't trigger the automatic email. I make sure that they know that they have to email me with questions. They cannot email that list, that email for anything other than, um, the download bonuses. And I have either myself or my assistant monitor it. And I let them know this is, it's not going to be something I'm going to answer emails at, because if you answer it, then they answer back then that triggers another automatic email, you know? So anyway, and that's also, it's helpful that way because then you can see how many people are downloading the download bonuses. Whereas, um, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell, like if you've got like an image on a website, you could have them go to it, but you don't know how many people are right clicking and saving it. Right. Um, but the emails, I leave them all unread in that email account. And then I can see at a glance, look, you know, 300 people have taken advantage of the download bonuses so far and things like that. Um, Zapier is amazing. There's not anything they can't do. And they actually work with Sendy. So if you end up doing a Sendy system, um, that the provider provider I was talking about earlier, Zapier actually works with them too. And so there, it's a very powerful, um, company application website thing. <laughs> all right. We will put a link to it for sure. And I, I just thought I'd chime in. I'm kind of having the same experience with AMS ads right now. I've I actually launched quite a few of them with my book launch in May, in June here, that the automated ones are actually the lower 
bid, like they're, I'm getting the clicks for less and they're more of them are converting to sales. The only thing is that I don't get nearly as many impressions with those as when I just say like, Oh, target the whole sci-fi space opera, space exploration genres, which is not, you know, like it's good. Like you don't spend tons of money. If all you really care about is selling the book, you know, I think when you're in that launch couple of weeks, I feel as if you have the money to spend, maybe it's worth it just to have your book everywhere in the sci-fi category popping up, assuming it's a series and it's going to earn out if, you know, you can afford to spend more on book one. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's, there's (laughs) like, there's different marketing tactics. You want impressions sometimes. I mean, people have to see something how many times before they buy, isn't that they say it's like seven times. And so sometimes marketing campaigns where you're aiming for impressions rather than conversion, like that's like not bad. I mean, it's a good idea. Last thing I wanted to ask you about is, uh, and I'll put a link to the the sci-fi marketing podcast where you were on, and because we also talked about BookBub ads, and I thought that was a pretty good show for that. Uh, you have a group, a Facebook group, I know that, uh, I think it's kind of branched out into more than just BookBub stuff, but are you still using them? Are you trying their, do you like their pay-per-click or CPM ads right now, and, and how do you feel about that? Um, so the BookBub group is more about the marketing side and getting features with them and just all sorts of promotions, websites, and things like that. I've actually not really dug into BookBub ads probably because I, f- I focus on Facebook. My husband focuses on Amazon. Neither of us have a lot of bandwidth right now for anything else. And so, I mean, I've, I always say we're going to dig into BookBub ads someday, but we still haven't. That day still hasn't come. Um, we're both getting good results off of Facebook and Amazon. And I do know authors who have had a lot of success on BookBub, but I've not taken the time to, um, to go into deep and dig into it. <laughs> uh, all right. So I guess I have one last question is, uh, when we were set, setting this up, uh, you mentioned that you've got, you know, and we mentioned a bit earlier too, that, uh, you've got a big launch coming, like a major launch, uh, for your, for your next thing are you trying anything new for this big launch is this, or is, or is this going to be just all the old tactics more so it's going to be all the old tactics. <laughs> just kidding. No. Well, I, it's like a mix of new stuff and old stuff. Um, so my goal with this is to basically every time I do a book launch, I'm experimenting with something new. I very rarely do repeats, you know, and so I don't know if this is going to actually work, but my goal is to see if a, a rapid release would work with all retailers and not just in Kindle Unlimited. I do have an existing fan base on other retailers. I make more money wide than I do in Kindle Unlimited, probably because I can't release more than three or four or five novels a year. Um, uh, see kids as a, as a reason. <laughs> so uh, my goal is to get about 8,000 downloads on the book, the shadow profit It's releasing in October. So some people are like, well, are you aiming to get a list? It's probably not going to make a list with just 8,000 downloads because it's October. That's when traditional publishers are releasing as well. Uh, but I do want to see if I can get, wide traction very quickly on this series. It's a brand new series. And so what I'm doing, so some of the old, some of the new, I'm doing a multi-author promotion. Uh, I do those regularly when I have a book launch. I make sure my book is at the top. I tell authors that only 99 cents books are available. In that promotion, I'll mention the download bonuses. So if they download this, you know, they can get those download bonuses. Um, I'll be doing promotions through websites. So like ENT and the other websites where if your book is brand new, it doesn't matter. And then I've got a merchandiser, a couple of merchandisers that I'll be reaching out to and saying, Hey, can I get a little bit of love on this new release and, um, newsletter swaps. What I'm doing new this with newsletter swaps is I am going to be, um, 
reaching out to about 400 authors, fantasy authors, and with the goal being 100 newsletter swaps. And um, just during that week, that that major, that main week of the promotion, uh, there's a little caveat with that right there. I don't want to overmelt well my readers. And so my, I will be spreading out my end of the bargain over a whole year, just because, you know, if somebody has a big launch coming up and say <clears throat> February of 2020, then I will share their book in February rather than me doing it all at one point. And then I'm also, because sometimes if you do too many, I, I just want it to be beneficial for the authors who are participating. And so I'm also going to be authoring, offering one or two of my courses, my marketing courses for free, you know, say, so if you would rather get a marketing course, instead of having me tell my readers about your book, that's an option. And then, like I said, I want to reach 100. Um, I want to swap with 100 authors. And so not everybody's going to say yes. So I'm going to be reaching out to like 400. And then um, my goal is to spend around between 7,000 and 8,000 on Facebook ads or just on this launch itself, just, just to see how, you know, what that sort of a big push. Cause I've never done it. I've done it between two and $3,000 on a launch before, but I've never done um, anywhere higher than that. And like I said, I like experimenting. I want to see what will happen if I do this. And I feel like the, this book out of all of the launches I've done so far will you know, it's a good, it's a good potential, um, solid one to get those, you know, a bunch of downloads. Um, like the hook is hired to assassinate a woman or the woman he loves. He's a demon hunter and he gets hired to assassinate his, the woman he's in love with. And, um, like I said, I'll be using pre-orders and I'll be tweaking my Facebook ads during the pre-order period just to see, you know, say I'll have one ad running for four days. How many pre-orders do I get during that time? And I won't be telling my readers about the book at that time either. And then uh, I've got a website set up where it's got the, the description of the book, the cover of the book. And at the end, it says, would you like, if you would like to know when this book is released, join my newsletter list and get this exclusive box set for free in the process. And I've had a bunch of people sign up already, even though the book is only up for pre-order on non-retailer websites. And then let's see, um, I'm going to also about five, six, maybe seven weeks before the book launches, I'm going to start emailing it in chunks to my readers and asking them for feedback on the book. My, my objective with that is if readers, if my readers like the book, then other readers will too. And then at the end of each new section, I'm going to have links for them to take action. So I'll have a link to a form where they can go and give me feedback on the book or what they've read so far. I'll have link links for them to pre-order and get their download bonuses. Uh, I'll have a link to, for them to enter a giveaway and, um, all of that. And, um, I think I, I, I did mention, I have a podcast. My husband and I have been updating my listeners every single week on what I've been doing so far leading up to that launch, just so that I can break it down for authors who are interested in following it. Because, you know, who doesn't like knowing what's working and what's not working? <laughs> no, I'll be interested. I'm sure we'll touch bases before then. Um, but I will be curious to see how everything goes for you. That sounds like a lot of work. You're, you're making me tired. I was asking you, like, how are you getting by as a new mom? <laughs> only working a few hours a week or whatever you're managing. So, so I actually started planning this book launch back in November, December. So what you're hearing is stuff that's been going on for several months. And so it's not overwhelming to me because I've been brainstorming and working on it for a long time. And I'd like actually put together a to-do list for every single month. I don't go by days. Uh, I go by months and then I break it into weeks. So my goal is to get these things done by the end of the week. So if I have a day where I'm sick or the kids are sick, it doesn't 
crash the whole plan. And then it just, it's, and then I have like my assistant stuff on that list as well. So that we can both check back and say, this is where I am on this part. And there's certain things in there that it doesn't matter if the ball gets dropped on. Actually, most of these things, it doesn't matter if the ball gets dropped on, you know, it's not like I'm going to stop being an author just because I forgot to, you know, write a short story or something, you know? So I'm not putting a lot of pressure on myself and, or on my readers or on my, on my um, husband or anything like that. It's just, um, organization, you know, just making sure I had it organized from the start and that's helping me with any levels of stress. <laughs> and that's, uh, I think that is one thing if you're not a like super fast writer and writing six or 12 novels a year, that it makes a lot of sense to like, when you are going to launch a new series to maybe put more into it, knowing that, Oh, well, you can't just pick up the slack with book two and three that are coming out two weeks later. You know, you gotta like, this is the series maybe that you're working on for the next three years. So you do, it makes a lot of sense to, to really try to give it a good start there. Yeah. And one thing that I've noticed, I mean, one thing with myself, I'd, I've never done a big book launch before, except the last book in my, in my second series, I had a huge launch on that one. Um, my goal is not to have big book launches. My goal is to have my backlist selling. And so I generally put most of my focus on my backlist and then just release books rather than making them big. But I decided to see how this one would do, you know, uh, so everything that I've talked about with this launch, you can do that with a book that's been out for like five years. You know, I mean, it's, it's stuff that is, it's more of an evergreen type thing, you know, doing newsletter swaps almost always works and spending money on money on ads and things like that. And so if somebody is, you know, not having a new release coming out soon, but they still want to generate traffic and buzz and things like that, they can still do something like this for just a random promotion and see if they can get a book bug feature, you know, <laughs> at the same time. Yeah, that always helps. It, it, it's a little depressing to know that one book bub feature, if you can get it, will like equal all of the effort you put in to get a hundred <laughs> letters swaps, you know? It's so true. <laughs> all right. Well, we've kept you for over an hour, so we better let you go. Um, why don't you tell us, uh, you mentioned your podcast, well, I think you said the name and we'll put the link to it. And uh, anything else you want to mention, your website and where people can find you? Uh, let's see. So my podcast is called self-published strong. It's, um, it's a podcast that my husband and I do together. We have guests on about once every quarter, sometimes once a month, and we take bad and awful and great movies. And we, we basically take um, tips from them and writing things, craft ideas from them that authors can apply to books. And then we, you know, we make it so that it's basically a craft slash marketing show. And, um, so I'll give like marketing tips. We give motivational quotes. And then, like I said, craft and ideas based on bad and awful movies from, um, from four authors. Sorry, we're at the end of the podcast episode. I can tell my tongue's like all tangled up, but so if, if any listeners, if they're like big into movies, if they like movies or if they just enjoy marketing or want to keep up with my, my, um, launch and things like that, then this is a good podcast for them. We've been going for about a year and a half now, which is crazy. And I haven't told anybody about the podcast <laughs> because our lives have been so insane. We like moved, we, I got pregnant right after we moved, I had a baby. And so we've been doing it, plugging away at it. And we've got like two reviews because <laughs> we haven't told anybody that it exists, but, um, and if readers, if authors, if they want to do a newsletter swap with me, if they write fantasy, or if they just want to ask questions, they can reach out to me at Andrea at selfpublishedstrong.com or my regular email address, which is ap at andreapearsonbooks.com. And I do have that book bug promotions and more group, which I don't do use it a whole lot right now. So it's 
pretty quiet at this point. Um, but I will be going back to doing live marketing tips every single week in, in live videos once my life calms down a little bit. And they can actually go and watch the videos that have already been posted there. And yes, that's pretty much it, right? <laughs> I think so. All right, cool. Well, I will make sure to get all the links there and um, hopefully we'll get this up in the next couple of weeks. We've been banking a few episodes. So for anybody that stumbles across the podcast, they'll be like, whoa, where'd this come from? There's just five, six new episodes. Excellent. And um, I will let you know when we're, we're live and send you the link. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It was fun. <laughs> so long, everybody.